I love that you can move them easily. They make my workspaces much more flexible. I like how quiet they are. I can sit inside and feel all calm, but still feel part of what's going on around me. I like what they cost. They're talking about Nook, the award-winning wellness-certified family of pods, booths, and shelters which make a workplace more flexible and more inclusive. Go to nookpod.com to find out more. Welcome back to the Work Bowl podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, fund manager, developer, property manager, agent or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Happy New Year. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and we are returning from our holiday intermission with Episode 5 of Season 6, sponsored by TSK. This episode was recorded during my week in Toronto, Canada in October, but don't worry, it's very much relevant today. As you know, we're all about trying new things, and this is the first episode we've had an office customer and their flex partner on the podcast together. I'm joined by Jay Goldman from Sensei Labs and Mark Goh from ClearSpace. You're going to get to hear how fast-growing tech companies are thinking about their real estate post-pandemic, including how ClearSpace helped Sensei Labs become more efficient with their footprint and how company culture is evolving to support new ways of working at Sensei Labs. And then Jay goes on to share what his company needs from commercial real estate as they grow. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you won't cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Before we get started, i got to give my man Dave Kans from CBRE Canada a shout-out for brokering this deal and brokering this podcast episode. Thank you, Dave. I think now is a good time for some insights from our headline sponsor, TSK. Buildings have always played a huge role in our lives. You know, it's where we're born, it's where we grow up, it's our home. Actually, in terms of how we progress our professional life, the way that we work with colleagues, collaborate, learn, grow, are coached and are nurtured, they're physically part of getting together within a work environment. So our workplaces are a fundamental part of how we grow professionally and how we have fulfilled lives. Physically, offices will move away from doing things that they never did very well anyway, such as supporting people doing private, confidential, focused tasks. For more insights from TSK, check out their documentary in the link in the show notes below or visit tskgroup.co.uk. Now, without further ado, Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Work Bowl Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by Jay Goldman and Mark Gove. Jay is co-founder and chief sensei at Sensei Labs. His company supports Fortune 500 companies around the world with their collaborative work management platform, which is used to run business-critical projects, including transformations, M&A, product launches, and procurement operations. Jay co-authored the New York Times bestseller, The Decoded Company, and has written for publications like the Harvard Business Review. Also, he speaks often with teams and companies across the globe about the future of work, including at TEDx, NASA, Harvard Business School, Google, and Twitter's world headquarters. Finally, he's a customer of ClearSpace, the company Mark Go founded and is CEO. The Mark is a seasoned entrepreneur and has both raised venture capital and bootstrap companies. Prior to launching his own startups, Mark worked for several years in private equity. Mark launched ClearSpace to create awesome offices for growing companies. He's created a way to simplify the office interior construction process for landlords and tenants as a one-stop shop from design to move in. 
Through their technology-driven approach, they're able to deliver cost-effective, beautiful office experience without compromising on speed and quality. Sounds like a dream to me. These are typically smaller footprints for fast-growing companies. They're private and custom-branded for the customer and high in demand. Welcome to the Workbull Podcast, gentlemen. Thank you, Caleb. Thanks, Caleb. So we're trying something new with this episode. This is the first time we've had an office customer and their flex partner on the podcast. But I've been following you both on LinkedIn for some time, and I appreciate how you both lean into the future of work. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. But before we dive in, I want to set the stage. We're actually sitting inside of Sensei Lab's office space right now on day eight after they've moved in. It's amazing how they've set this space up for hybrid working. I think this is a good example for everyone to hear about today. But my first question for you is, before you guys moved into this space with ClearSpace's support, after raising your Series A, you guys were looking at taking on 10 to 12,000 square feet, but you actually only took 7,000 square feet. We'd like to hear what guided you in your thinking and your decisions around that. Yeah, I think for many, many years, there's been a sort of fixed set of assumptions and calculations around how much space do we need, how many square feet per employee kind of thinking. And when the pandemic hit, we're actually a spin out from a larger company called Click Health. And we have, as we've been growing the business up until that point, been in Click's office space. And Click is a beautiful space just down the street from here. And so we were always welcome to be there. And when the pandemic hit as a startup, it was actually very generous of Click to allow us out of the space. So we just stopped paying rent while we were in sort of pandemic mode and everybody was working from home. And that gave us an opportunity when we were ready to take space to start from a blank slate. And we as a business and everything we do in building our product and working with our customers, we like to go back and rethink the kind of fundamental assumptions, go back to first principles, question all of those points to really think about, do these make sense? Sometimes they are things that made sense at a moment in time in the past and the world has just changed. And that was exactly what happened here. So when we went and looked at things like you should have a hundred square feet per person, and then we did some calculations and we're like, we're going to end up with a ton of office space and nobody's going to end up coming in. Why would we have so much space? Or we even looked at things like, actually it was a funny conversation with the building that we're in today. They wanted us to add a second electrical transformer for the space because they used one of those calculations and they said, well, average load per electrical outlet is X and you have this many electrical outlets. So you need a second transformer at a cost of $20,000. And we said, well, we're not going to use most of these plugs. Like that's not what the, in the past, everybody would have come in and plugged things in at their desk, but we have 7,000 square feet here and we will be at a third occupancy on any given day. So we don't need all of that draw on the electrical outlets. And so I think it's really a question of, of that, Caleb. It's going back and saying, what are the first principle assumptions that led to that decision? And what's changed that actually completely changes the math on that? And so today we are about 85 people and we have 7,000 square feet and we have more than enough space at 7,000 to probably grow our team, maybe not double in size, but maybe half again in size before we would start to think about even needing more space than we have. Today, what you're describing to me is an inflection point that you guys have sort of looked at what used to be and, you know, reality today, and you made those changes. And I think it's fascinating. You guys could do the math, obviously, 7,000 square foot, 85, 83 people, what that looks like. But then what's fascinating how you've designed this space is when you give us the tour, you have what, 24 desks? Yeah, 24 fixed desks, all bookable, no assigned seating. No offices. So nobody has an assigned location. This would in the past have been called hoteling space. We have lockers for everybody. So when they come in every morning, they're able to pick up their stuff out of their locker and go to wherever they're going to be sitting for the day. We have three collaboration rooms and that was really what the space was entirely designed around. On any given day, we will have two or three teams in the office. 
on a rotating schedule that we publish at least a month in advance to give people an opportunity to plan childcare and all of those other pieces, our team very clearly asked for one day a week in the office with their team members and then the ability to come in more if they wanted it. We have some folks who moved out of the city during COVID. They relocated out to either sort of suburbs of the city or even further than that. That's fantastic for them. It's a different life. They can afford more space. They can have a backyard. They can do all that kind of thing. And they'll take the train in once a week to hang out with their team in our space. They'll have an assigned team collaboration room for the day, everything they need in that room specifically so that that team can work together, whether that is one of our scrum teams who are heads down focused on writing code all day, but they can now do it in a room together and then they can whiteboard tons of whiteboard space or whether it's our sales and marketing team who need to brainstorm their account plans and how they're going to attack certain geographies and then also need the ability to go and take calls throughout the day. And there's plenty of space for all of that as well. And since people are working remotely and some people are coming to the office, you guys have set it up for hybrid working as well so people can stay connected. What sort of technology do you have? We are a Teams company, so we're fully a Microsoft Gold partner. Everything we do is Microsoft. Even our application is Azure hosted. And so we have set everything up for full Teams environment here. All of our bigger meeting rooms and collaboration spaces have full Logitech camera setups, dual screens, Teams hardware on the desk so you can easily join a meeting. Our smaller rooms are set up with a docking station and a webcam. You can always plug a laptop in join the meeting and share up on your screen. All of our workstations have webcams on them as well. So you can come in in the morning. There's a docking station, single USB-C cable. You plug that into your laptop and you're fully set up for the day. So everything was designed around the idea that you would be joining meetings where there are other team members who are not here. Also, I think hybrid also extends a bit to the office environment. So we had an all hands meeting yesterday, for example. I hosted the all hands meeting from home because I was on a work from home day. We have people dialing in from cities across Canada and in the U.S. where we have team members. And then the teams who were in the office individually joined from their separate meeting rooms. And some of the folks were at workstations and they joined as well. So that is really the full hybrid spectrum all the way from you're completely remote to the office in another city to you are sitting in the office with other people but joining from a different room. Before I bring Mark into this conversation, I just want to ask one thing because I keep hearing people say that you can't maintain company culture if people aren't in the office together consistently. How are you doing it? I, I think that if you have a fixed idea of company culture, you can't maintain it because that world doesn't exist anymore. So if your fixed idea of company culture is water cooler conversations, then yes, you can't maintain that world. But company culture is not a static thing. If it's a static thing, you effectively have the motivator poster on the wall of the break room with the bald eagle on it. That is not company culture. Company culture is fluid. We think of it and talk about it often as a garden, and we are the gardeners responsible for it. It's our job to make sure that it has enough sunlight and enough water and enough nutrition so that it can grow. It's our job to weed out the weeds that are negative influences or might take over the garden if we're not careful. But the garden has to do its own work. It has to grow and change and evolve as the seasons change and as everything else changes. And so when you think of it that way, culture just changes and becomes something different. Today, we have an office in Toronto. If we end up with an office in Dubai, for example, when we have tons of customers in the Middle East, so that's a likely location for us, the sensei culture in that office will not be the same culture that's here anyway. So even to think of it centered around offices, the culture won't remain fixed as the company grows and scales. The piece to us that is probably the most important when we switch to virtual was intentionality about that culture. 
it's not just leaving it to whatever randomly happens. If you do that, the garden just gets overgrown with weeds and it looks unkept and, you know, people can see that and people joining the company can feel that and you end up with people leaving because it, it doesn't feel like anybody's paying attention. But everything that we do as a company comes back to our six core values. They were intentionally chosen to spell the word sensei. It's very easy to remember what they are. They're right up on our website on our careers page. So if any of your listeners want to see it, they can just go to senseilabs.com slash careers and we explain them right there. Everything we do ties back to those. Even in the design of the office space, when we were working with Mark's team, we brought those values into that conversation and said, how does the office reflect these values and what we're doing? The intentionality around planning team events that are both virtual and in person as we start to have an office and are able to do that, but have been virtual for the last 18 months. How do those events reflect the values that we are articulating and that we live every day as senseis? That piece is, I think, the most important because without being conscious of it and planning for it, it's something that easily gets left behind. People don't think about it. And then it just becomes an unkept garden. Wise words. I had nothing to add to that. So Mark, I'm going to turn to you. You've obviously been a huge supporter of getting Sensei Labs set up. They just came in, moved into this office eight days ago. I'm curious to hear your perspective on this deal. How did your team support Jay to arrive at what's now this dynamic space that we're sitting in today? Yeah. So first of all, Caleb, 100% of the credit goes to the team. There's a team of talented designers, project managers, construction managers, site supers that actually make this happen. I'm fairly useless at the company. So, you know, first part was what do I think of the deal and how it came together? I think that Jay and Sensei made the exact right choice in how to approach workspace. People have been taking a very static approach. He had some really good guidance from his broker, Dave Cairns, and with that guidance allowed him to rationalize the amount of space, but also think about office space differently. I think that's what's happening in the market. People are trying to jam the whole paradigm into the new world and it doesn't work like that. I think what was really interesting working with Sensei is that we have a client and a partner who was willing to look at it from first principles, also something that we do. And so I think that was really, really smart in understanding what's the hybrid requirement, how that's going to change, taking a bet, because it is a bet, what is happening today in a very quickly changing world might not be what happens six months from now, but being flexible enough, not just the design, but the way that Jay and his team approaches a problem, I think is going to buy them a lot of optionality and actually give them a really interesting work environment. Well, I think this the flexibility that you're describing is the best word to use and it's needed right now in this changing time, because what we all are seeing right now and how your teams are working may not be the way they're going to work a year from now. When we come out of this pandemic and when people feel more comfortable, maybe they'll be in the office more, maybe they won't. But the fact that we don't know requires that flexibility. And I think in a way you're asking people questions that they actually can't answer. So we did, I think the same thing that everybody did. We surveyed our team and said, how would you like to think about office space? And part of our question there was, why do we have office space? What are we actually taking this space to? It's expensive, right? This is one of our most expensive line items on our list of expenses. So why are we paying this money? When we asked that question to people, I think it was about six months ago, we're in the depths of the pandemic. We're a Toronto-based company. We were all on full lockdown. So you're asking people, how would you feel about coming into the office in the future? Well, they have no idea. They're at home, their toddler screaming in the next room. The question, would you like to come into an office felt almost foreign. It was like, would you like to go to the moon? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, right? What's actually happened that I think was fascinating. I was here every day last week. 
It was our first week of being open and I wanted to be able to greet everybody as they came in. And I very consistently heard from everybody. I forgot how good it was to be in the office. I didn't remember how nice it was to see people and engage with them. That's the only reason we took this space was the connections between our senseis. We didn't need the space to get work done. We did a fantastic job during the pandemic. In Toronto, we were on basically 18 months of lockdown. We had no problem being productive. The team was amazing. Everybody was able to pick up their laptops and go home on day one and just keep right on being amazing senseis. We took the space for the connections that it creates between people. And that's what we heard last week from everybody was, I actually forgot how important that piece is. And I think nobody anticipated that when we asked them the question six months ago. I'll echo that. We are in office two days a week. As a company that builds office space and lives in physical space, You'd think that we'd have a hard time working from home. We took the laptops day one and we could get the work done. But in the same way, we asked people to come back to office to force the connection. And it's like, because there was an inertia, it's really easy to get stuck in that routine where you're just going to wake up, roll onto your couch or roll onto your kitchen table if you're in a condo and start working. And the moment we brought people back, we heard it. And we were early because we live and breathe our product, right? We had to believe in it. And it's so funny because now as people start to return and we're launching space with clients to bring, to create points of connection, we're hearing the same thing. People forget how nice it is to be back. That said, no one on our team, except a few, really want to be five days a week. I think the number that we settled on was two. I think it very well could have been one. And we're trying to find that balance on what's right, how to accommodate people. But I think every company has to approach it thinking at first principles. You can't copy Jay, you can't copy me. We are a company that deals in physical space. It's like, we need people to be there. There are benefits to people doing that. Our, we've hired not a remote culture, we hired for an in-person team. And as a result, had a very much in-person culture when we left. Maintaining that remote was challenging. It's just the personalities, everything else that came with it. But now we found this hybrid solution, which has given us the best of both worlds. And we're really happy with kind of where we landed. I like that phrase, best of both worlds, because I think for me, going back to the office in London, and, and I don't have one office I go to, we have loads of locations that we go to. It was nice to go back in and see people face to face. It felt good. But the best of both worlds is I didn't have to. I could choose when I needed to or when I wanted to. So I think if I had to go in, it wouldn't be as nice. But coming back to you, Mark, I want to dive into your business model a little bit. That's okay. Sure. In this conversation, we've been talking about how you're directly supporting Sensei Labs and Office customer, but you also work with landlords too, right? Yep. Can you talk about that? So it was really interesting in the depth of the pandemic, there weren't a lot of clients looking for office space. Interestingly, another kind of nod to Jay is they went out at the exact right time in the market because people were scared. There were incredible deals to be done. And everyone forgets there's a lead time for things to happen. And now as we're opening up in Toronto and we were one of the most locked down regions in the world. As people start to return, everyone wants that product today. But you know, there's a lag if you want a nicely built space. So Jay got in at the right time, but in the depths of the pandemic, no, very few people were thinking like that. And so the landlords had a really difficult time with their vacancy, especially with troubled assets. Everyone wanted space that was ready, built, furnished so they could move in, have optionality. And so what we ended up doing was working with the landlords to take some of that really troubled space, having them invest what they probably would have granted in a tenant improvement allowance anyways, and turning it into a model suite. And so what we do with landlords is we help build these model suites or speculos, they call spec suites in a white label fashion. So if we had done this, if Jay hadn't signed the deal directly and had come to the landlord and there was one of these suites, the framework of that suite would look more or less very similar to what we have here. They'd be white labeled. And then what we do is once we work with the landlord, 
as they have tenants looking at that space to customize the space for that tenant and show them what they would need, show them how it actually goes from the space that's actually very pretty, but you know, very generic to a space that feels as branded, feels like home for Sensei. So we've done that really successfully with landlords that we continue to roll that program. And so we do it either in model suites or in turnkeys where the build is actually underwritten as part of the deal. Just to put some context around that, in the space that we're sitting in today, Sensei Labs has branded their space, their colors are in the right places, their logos in the right places. And so it, it does, it feels like you're in a Sensei Labs, you're not in a shared office environment with someone else's brand. And so is this what you're seeing these fast-growing companies like Sensei are needing today? Yeah, I think co-working and FlexBase offers a number of huge benefits, but in very few cases has allowed a company really to impart their brand, culture, identity onto a space. I think what we offer is the opportunity for people to do that. Some of it is in colors directly translating into the space, being incorporated into the space, but it can happen in a number of other ways to make a space feel like home for a company so that it creates a place for connection that is authentic, right? That does feel like a home for Sensei Labs. I think JSpace is incredible because they've incorporated and were so intentional about how the brand was put in. And so it is bright, it's bold, it's vibrant. It is really, really unique. I love it. You know, I'll let Jay talk about it, but even the whiteboard markers are chosen to match Sensei's brands. And so that type of intentionality you can't get from FlexSpace, which is one of the benefits of having your own space. Building your space in the past was complex and cost prohibitive, which is why many companies turn to a flex space or a co-working product. We offer this in-between option. That's what we do. It's pretty simple. It was just that there's a gap in the market between the flex space and a full-on designer-led build. We offer kind of something that's simpler, faster, more cost-effective. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And when, when I am talking with my portfolio owner clients, we're talking about how they should deliver spaces and service across their portfolio. We talk about it the full stack and there's various layers to that. You fit one of these layers that absolutely makes sense for a company as they grow. Because I think if an asset owner wants to take that company throughout their entire life cycle, they have to have those co-working elements. They have to have your layer, the branded suites. And then of course they have to be able to offer these people that have their own space on the longer leases that are bigger footprints at some stage as the company grows. But I have one more question for you, Mark. Your business model pivoted though, because you used to run a, a no-tell type model where you actually managed a lease arbitrage business and you had 55,000 square feet under management across nine locations and they were full all the time. So why did you pivot away from that? So a uh, super interesting question. Yeah. So we were the first full suite flex-based product in Canada. So just before HQ by WeWork launched and just before no-tell launched and neither of those really kind of took off in Canada. I think the price point was a large part of it. So we had offered a really competitive price point, built out 55,000 and fully leased it within the span of roughly 10 months. It was a challenging 10 months. There's two things. One, with Notel and WeWork coming, we would just need a lot of capital to be able to grow this at scale. And the business that my co-founder and I, when we thought about running, wasn't going to be venture back out of the gate. We had done that once. We wanted a different journey. But also, people were seeing the product and... There was so much demand asking us to build that exact type of product for someone else, also for their own space as they took a direct lease. And so I think we saw an opportunity where there were players, there was a lot of capital required, and we saw a greenfield opportunity that would allow us to move fast and really do something new. We pivoted in 2019, just before the pandemic, and I would like to say it was a stroke brilliance. It was just luck. But we have dug into a problem and we find it so fascinating to think about how we can re-engineer the design and construction process 
to Jay's point, we had to rethink about the problem from first principles, ground up and reimagine the way that space could be designed and built. And we're not there yet. I think there's parts of the process which we're nailing and there's still a lot to do. There's a lot to fix. Jay has provided incredible feedback, which for the next time we work together, I hope he's going to say, man, Mark, you listen to everything. You fix that part of the process because it is a complex problem. It's one we're like highly passionate about. And I'm so excited to continue to fix. And I will say just on the record, absolutely. ClearSpace was phenomenal. This was a, an amazing experience. When we were looking at spaces with Dave from CBRE, it was a full spectrum of spaces. We looked at completely finished spaces. We looked at base building, which is what this space was. This is actually a sublet. So we got an amazing deal here because in the midst of the pandemic with millions of unleased square footage in Toronto, base building sublets were like the bottom of the stack in terms of desirability. The reason we took it was actually ClearSpace because we had complete confidence in the fact that we could build out exactly the office we wanted on budget in the amount of time we had. And I think without a solution like Mark's brought to market, we wouldn't have looked at the space because the headache of managing all that construction and having to find a designer and then having to find a general contractor would have been way too much. We could go into this with confidence saying, okay, great. We actually have to do very little here. And we actually had to do very little. I think all told, we probably had 10 conversations with ClearSpace and we got this office. So kudos to Mark and team. It's an amazing product and it really has been an amazing journey for us. Thanks so much, Jay. It means the world to me. Well, well, I have to ask then, Mark, you've created this way to simplify this whole process and create this like one-stop solution and it's technology driven. What is the secret sauce? A lot of it is at the start of the process. So the conversation I was having prior to the podcast with Jay was some of the issues around construction and design. And it's around the lack of transparency and detail. If you go to a designer and you go to a GC, you basically get one big number. There's a lack of detail. You don't know where things break out. You don't know how it all adds up. We've invested a lot of time, capital, our software team, our developers work on pricing technology at the very start of the process. So when we draw a CAD file, we can take that for that initial plan. We can take that to a quote that's around 90% accurate based on data, feedback, the number of sources that we use to price in around 30 minutes. So really, really fast on the construction world, because that would typically take three weeks. And so from that, we can offer a client a fixed price. We underwrite some amount of risk, but when Jay is working on this deal and we say, Hey, look, we're going to build this space for $78 per square foot. He knows that he can get the space for $78 per square foot. If he wants the marble countertop at the end of the day, yes, he's got to pay for a marble countertop, but he knows that there's a set he's getting it detailed, it's transparent, there's options. And so that's where we drive a lot of the value. We use data and a level of precision that's not widely available in design and construction. And it's really taken the same methodology that Jay would use running Sensei. Uh, that type of startup data-driven approach just isn't applied to our industry. So that's where a lot of it comes from. Well, that's fascinating. Well, Mark, thanks for sharing that. We'll make sure to put a link to your website in the show notes so everyone can check out your website and learn more about you and obviously connect people to your LinkedIn as well. Jay, I have one final question for you before we move into the quickfire round. And that is, as your company grows, as it will, what do you want from commercial real estate going forward? Yeah. If our investors are listening, we did not go for the marble countertop option. <laughs> Just for the record. I think that the question for us on something like commercial real estate, we apply generally speaking to the business. It's a question of optionalities. The problem for us is, and we try to use this as a decision-making framework, 
Reversible decisions should be made quickly. Irreversible decisions we need to really think through and be intentional about. A decision about taking a commercial lease is largely irreversible for the period of that lease. And that has historically been true. The problem for us is our real estate needs could change significantly. This is a three and a half year sublet. How do I know what the business is going to look like in three and a half years from now? How much space we might need? What the composition of that space might be? And so one of the things that I would love to see is asset owners, landlords, thinking through how to provide that flexibility. Because as a business owner, the last thing I want to do is get stuck in a lease that's no longer serving the needs that we have. Today, we have 7,000 square feet. I don't know if in three and a half years from now, I'm going to need 20,000 square feet in Toronto, or I'm going to need 3,000 square feet in Toronto because we've taken offices in other places. So that's one is the flexibility to be able to do that. Now, obviously it's hard to move physical things around. So I can't just say, Hey, we'd like half the space or we'd like another half a floor. Can you just give us the other half a floor? There's another tenant on this floor. They probably wouldn't like that very much, but some form of that flexibility to us would be, would be fantastic. On that, can I just ask, you know, cause I, I hear this from customers all the time and I also hear from landlords, well, will they pay for that flexibility? And the question is, you know, you were looking at taking 12,000 square feet, multiply that times the rate, that's how much annual rent you would be paying, but you took seven on a sublet for three and a half years. So there's a significant savings there. Would you be willing to do a deal with a landlord that they provided you the space you needed today, but gave you the flexibility and how, how much would paying extra play into your decision? That's a hard question to answer without obviously looking at a specific deal, right? If we had two deals in front of us and I could say, this deal is really fixed and it's 20% cheaper. This deal gives us a ton of flexibility at 20% more. It may be worth paying the 20% in a way, almost as an insurance policy to say, oh, okay. If we do need more space or less space, we have the option of taking that. I think it's hard to know without looking at, at specific terms. I do think we would have paid something upfront being realistic. I understand that there's a cost to delivering that from the asset owner's perspective. So yeah, I think we would have paid something for that. The other piece I think for us is. We don't know where in the world we're going to expand. And so that's part of what our commercial real estate portfolio will end up being international expansion. We already today have customers across five continents, but the majority of our team is Toronto based. That won't remain true over the next, say, two years. And the majority of our hiring, I think, in that period will start to transition to international expansion. It would be fantastic to have either an international asset owner or an asset owner who through a series of partnerships has some ability for that kind of international expansion for us. So if we are thinking about an office in Dubai, as I mentioned earlier, it would be great to be able to say to our current landlord, Hey, I need 2000 square feet in Dubai. What have you got? Or what have you got access to through a network? I don't know whether that's a specific challenge for us because we are a very international company or not, but that's something that we certainly think about. I'm going to bet that you're not the only international company out there. I think that's probably <laughs> true. Uh, well, there you go. Maybe landlords should become brokers. Great. This is fantastic insight. Thank you both for, for taking the time to share. I want to move into the quick fire round. Quick question, quick answer, whatever comes to mind. And I'll go to you, Mark, first. Who inspires you in the topics of real estate and the future of work? I'm going to say Dave Cairns. I know this is a bit of a plug, but I think there's a lot of great thinkers out there. I follow you yourself. I read a lot from what Heinz is doing. I think they're an incredibly forward-thinking landlord. I just respect where Dave is coming from because he's not afraid to shake the tree, right? And he says things that are controversial sometimes, but I think need to be said. And we're all working to change an industry that is a little stodgy. 
Well, I think Dave's going to have to start paying royalties to my podcast because he, I think he's name, been name dropped on every episode this season, probably. <laughs> but good on him. I agree with you 100%. Jay, how about yourself? Yeah, I, you can't say Dave. No, I will second that. I think Dave, and honestly, part of the reason why we chose him as our broker, because we didn't want to go the traditional route. And I knew he would be thinking in the same sort of line that we were. And I will say, I don't follow real estate that much. It's not really our domain, but on the future of work side, what I would actually encourage your listeners to do is not follow any of the sort of traditional future of work thinkers. There's some great stuff in there. It's not that you shouldn't listen to them, but there's so much more happening outside of that echo chamber. And it's not always labeled future of work. So if you go and look on medium for people who are thinking about work from anywhere policies or hybrid approaches, there's way more articles outside of the future of work hashtag than there are inside of it. And that great thinking can come from anywhere. Nobody has a, a lock on this in terms of where that great thinking comes from. So we try to do that internally with us. Great ideas can come from anywhere in our company. They don't come from the top. In fact, they usually don't come from the top. But I would apply the same to who to listen to and follow. Is there a name that you can drop outside of the future work conversation? I would actually say, I, I wouldn't say necessarily a name of a person. I would say just, you know, use hashtags to find great content. And then follow those people because they'll keep doing great, consistent thinking afterwards as well. And what is that hashtag? Uh, depends on what you're looking for. So like when we were thinking about our work from any, what we've called our work from anywhere approach, we were looking for people who were specifically thinking of that, not hybrid or virtual, but work from anywhere. It's a different way of sort of thinking about it. It's not that you have to be in the office or at home. You can actually be anywhere you'd like and in the office one or two days a week. And so work from anywhere was a hashtag that we were looking for people who were doing writing about that. And then we were absorbing their thinking. And it's not a question of, Oh, this is exactly the right policy. We're going to copy paste. That never actually works. It was, I like elements of what this company does. I like elements of what this company's done. And then we've talked to our own people and we've knitted all of that together. So I'd say just think about how to search for the topic that you're looking for by hashtag or just by search term. Medium is a great place to find writing that people are doing this and not the only place, certainly. And then lots of great podcast episodes. So yourself, absolutely. This has been a great podcast for inspiration, but lots of other ones as well, where people are talking about this and thinking about it. Well, you've answered my second question about which podcast and medium do you, media do you consume? So I'm going to turn to Mark to answer the same question. What podcast or media do you consume to stay up to date? I'm an old school, boring guy. I read The Economist. So I think that's probably my favorite media outlet. And in terms of podcasts, I love how I built this. I love hearing stories of entrepreneurs very similar to Jay. I expected to hear Jay on that podcast in several years. Yeah, guy, if you're listening, we'd be happy to be on <laughs> Drop us a note. Yeah, so love that podcast. We'll make sure to give Guy a shout out and tag him in the LinkedIn post. <laughs> Look, guys, I've got one last question. It's not work related. And whoever wants to go first, where's your favorite place to vacation? Well, vacationing seems like such a foreign concept at the moment because we haven't been anywhere in a long time. I'm an explorer. I love to explore. So I don't actually go back to the same destination. I would rather go somewhere new and experience something. And I really particularly love exploring cities so I can enjoy a beach vacation. But if I had to pick, I would go and explore a city somewhere that I haven't been to. One hundred percent. I don't think I've ever consciously been back to the same place twice. So also not a beach guy. I like the outdoors and travel. So I would pick someplace random. Actually, I've not been to New Zealand. I would go to New Zealand next. Tokyo is actually the top of my list. I haven't been to Japan and I would absolutely love to see Tokyo. So that would be probably my first destination when the world opens up, if I have a choice about where to go. You should do it. It's one of my favorite places in the world, Japan. Okay. Mark, I will get travel tips for you. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should all do a podcast in Tokyo. Next. Yes, absolutely. Excellent. Well, thank you both for being transparent with this deal. I really appreciate you guys sharing your experiences, your insights, and taking the time. 
thank you for the tour earlier and we'll make sure to put links to all of your contacts in the show notes for people to connect with you. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. This episode of the Work Bold podcast was produced by the producer Jason Allen Scott. It was edited, content created, mastered, SEO, meta tagged, and many other technical things by Jeff Allen Streck. Social media assets and all content for this show, including blogs and transcripts and audiograms, were created by Sophia Giblin from Your Content Factory. This show is made by a podcast company. If you'd like to find out more about our services, please email jason at jsjvs.com. That's jason at jsjvs.com. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you.